0: Hey Icon, Merry Christmas Eve. Uh, I wish we could be together. Honestly, Christmas Eve service is my favorite service of the year. And so I'm very sad that I'm just in here alone with Paolo in the studio and not with you uh, doing a candlelight service somewhere, Uh, but this is the life that God has given us uh, this year. Uh, And so I I want to at least share some things with you that uh, even if we can't be together, we can still celebrate this day. And, uh, and celebrate the birth of our Savior. Um, I, I've always struggled, as much as I love Christmas Eve service, I have always struggled with Christmas Eve sermon. And here's why. Um, we are on the cusp of such great joy, such such great celebration. Tomorrow morning uh, is just such a fun time, especially when you have kids or you are a kid and you just, there's this kind of unbridled Joy that happens tomorrow morning. And if I'm honest, uh, unbridled joy is not really my thing. Okay. And so uh, Christmas Eve service has always felt like a challenge because everyone just wants to be comforted and encouraged and rejoice together. And I'm like, yeah, but what about sin? And that uh, always feels a little weird on Christmas Eve. So here's, here's, uh, here's what I want to do I want to uh, I wanna give you a reminder, I want to give you a challenge and uh, I wanna give you some hope today. So turn with me, if you will, to Isaiah chapter nine. Uh, This has been kind of our anchor passage through this whole Advent series, Um, and I wanna teach this passage. So we're gonna do Isaiah nine, one through seven. So start with me in chapter nine, verse one. It says, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. And here's the promise. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. for the fire. Now, um, this, these are the promises of Isaiah chapter 9. And what, what occurs to me when I read these promises um, is that all of them are happening to real people and are addressing real needs. Right? I mean, it, it, this is truly remarkable that these promises exist uh, in real life, right? So my wife and I are watching this Netflix show, The Queen's Gambit, and, and it's fine. Um, but over and over and over, we've said, man, this, this would be so much better if this were a true story, right? Like if this had actually happened. And one of the things that happens to us and and kind of disconnects us from the scriptures, and I think often, especially the Old Testament, is that it can seem kind of distant. It It can seem kind of nebulous and abstract, but for the people to whom Isaiah was writing, this was real life. They were really struggling with oppressors. They were really feeling like they were walking in darkness. They really desired to see a harvest. Isaiah was speaking to very real needs. Uh, uh, Israel at this time was currently, and in fact, throughout the Old Testament, kind of constantly embattled. And so this, this promise to them was not abstract. It was very tangible right? Isaiah is going, listen, I, I know you've got a lot going on. In fact, the passage we read is midstream. We talked about this a, a couple of weeks ago, um, but uh, Isaiah 9.1 starts with the word, but Right? And, and that's, that's always, the, it's always kind of a transition word, right? So uh, the passage before this Isaiah nine passage that we read is all about how the people of Israel in a time of trouble, in a time of uh, oppression, the Assyrians are kind of bearing down on them. Instead of turning to God, they turn to what uh, verse 19 says was mediums and necromancers. Basically they turn to horizontal solutions, worldly solutions, instead of turning to God. So he says in verse 19 of chapter 8, says, Inquire of the mediums and necromancers who chirp and mutter. Should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living, to the teaching and to the testimony? If they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no Now, this is Isaiah challenging the people of Israel who are in the midst of very real struggle and very real oppression to go, why are you looking horizontally for the solution to your problems when you have access to God? He says, that things, things go bad when we look horizontally for solutions to our very real problems. We need to look vertically to God. Why would they not inquire of God? This is the question that Isaiah asks. So what I want us to see in the the kind of reminder of this passage is that Isaiah 9 is not primarily a Christmas verse. I mean, it it is for us and has very very much Christmas implications for us. But for the people who heard this, who read this first, this had implications for their very real life in that very moment addressing very real concerns now this is something we talk about at icon all the time that our mission is to help you be a disciple of jesus in real life right that that jesus and the gospel and christianity speaks to the very real everyday challenges and uh uh, and problems of life and this isaiah 9 passage is no different so we, we ought to read this passage, not primarily just as a Christmas passage or something that happened thousands of years ago, though it did, but to ask ourselves, man, are we walking in darkness? Isaiah says, for those who walk in darkness, they have seen a great light. And as I said a couple of weeks ago, darkness in the Bible is always about evil and ignorance. Are we experiencing evil and ignorance in our life? Can we not see our way through a a, a specific problem? Can we not see the light at the end of the tunnel or the solution to the problem that we are facing? Turn to Jesus to bring you light. Do you need to experience harvest as verse three says, a financial harvest, relational harvest, some sort of results in your life? Ask Jesus. He owns all of those things. He he controls and governs and manages and leads all of this world. If there is something we need, some outcome we need in our life, ask Jesus. Isaiah is promising to these people, when he says harvest, he's not talking about a metaphor. He's talking about the harvest. They have put seeds in the ground and they need plants to grow out of those seeds, I think. I mean, I'm, I'm not a farmer, but I'm pretty sure that's how that goes. And so are going, when you need a harvest, ask Jesus. Verse 4 talks about experiencing oppression or mistreatment, suffering or cruelty. Are you experiencing that in your life? Jesus breaks the power of the oppressor. And verse five talks about war. Are you at war in your marriage, in your friendships, in your workplace, online? Jesus won the war so we can win our wars. Look to Jesus. So the, the promise of Isaiah 9 is, is not for some future Christmas kind of thing. This was a promise for real people in real time saying, listen, a, a child is coming who solves these real problems. So let's be reminded that this Christmas moment and, and the, the, the Jesus story is for real life. So that's one, your reminder. Number two, a challenge. The challenge that Jesus is playing a different game than the game around us. Verse six, he says, for to us, a child is born to us. A son is given and the government shall be on his shoulder and his name shall be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father and prince of peace. So that word for connects the first five verses to this sixth. So he goes, listen, the promises here are for real life. All of this can come true. All of this can happen. You can walk out of darkness into the light. You can experience the harvest. You can see the rod of your oppressor broken because or for. Here's the answer. This child is born. And what is striking and remarkable about this this one section of this very remarkable passage is that the solution is a child, right? Like, that's never my solution. More children, never my solution. I've got plenty. They're usually part of the problem. And I say part generously. They are the problem, they are never the solution, right? So so Isaiah runs through this long list of very real life promises and then go, it's gonna be okay because there's a baby coming. To which I, I, I have to assume the people of Israel are like, Cool, cool, cool. But is there like a, a is he like a baby warrior? Is he like a baby ninja? Like what's going to happen here? Because this baby doesn't seem like it's going to be able to bring about the harvest and walk us out of darkness and solve the problem of Assyria, right? But that's exactly the promise of Isaiah, and that's that we know the rest of the Jesus story, so we, we can see how this kind of unlikely solution actually is the pattern of Jesus, right? We see this from the beginning, that he was, in fact, born a, a poor baby to disreputable parents in a barn in the backwoods of a nowhere place that he then faded into obscurity for 30 years, not even like an Instagram or anything, right? Like for 30 years, you have angels announcing this dude's birth, super wise dudes traveling from across the world to come be present with him and then nothing. I mean, talk about missing an opportunity here, right? Like nothing for 30 years. He wasn't formally educated, and he didn't come through the disciple system. He didn't have this great teacher who was kind of lending him credibility. He chose the unchosen as his disciples. He performed miracles, there's no doubt, but often sought anonymity after doing them, right? Like How many times did he do something incredible and go, just don't tell anybody about this, right? Like that was his pattern over and over. He touched the disease, which he shouldn't have. He cared for the poor when no one else did. And he invited and loved the children and kept them around him. He tamped down his own popularity by shushing people, telling people, don't, don't tell people about me, don't talk about me. He talked about weird stuff like blood and a bunch of people left him. He, he delivered hard words so that the crowds were not drawn to him. He fought the powerful, the culturally and politically powerful instead of aligning himself with them. He was silent in the face of legal persecution and he died a horrific shameful criminal's death in order to win freedom and righteousness for his people, right? Like the, the fact that he came as a child is the least of the remarkable pattern of Jesus' life. Like it's clear from the beginning that whatever game is going on around us, whatever systems and ideas and values and structures, whatever else is going on around Jesus, he's playing his own game. He, he sees his own way, walks his own path, and then invites us to walk with them. In the kingdom of God, the solution to our problems is always to embrace weakness, seek lowliness, turn the other cheek. Follow the path of death. Call worldly power out for the weakness that it is. And generally live as if the game being played all around us isn't our game. And this is hard to do. Because everything around us is is moving in one direction. This is literally walking upstream from culture. And and unfortunately, it is walking upstream often from Christian culture, who's reaching in a hundred different ways to be able to win the game that the world is playing, but like Christian, doing it in a Christian y kind of way. And Jesus goes, No, that ain't, that's not the thing. Like we're playing a different game. We have different values, we care about different things. And as hard as that is, I just want us to be challenged by the fact that the game that the world is playing is not only unwinnable, but it is soul crushing in the process. And Jesus goes, I got a new game for you. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Walk the way of weakness, walk the way of neediness, Walk the way of powerlessness and you will experience a power that you never dreamed of. Enter as a baby and leave as a king. Number three, some hope. Verse seven says, Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness, from this time forth and forevermore the zeal of the lord of hosts will do this now i'm not trying to be political especially not on christmas eve but it is striking that twice in these last two verses uh, isaiah has called out the government of jesus that he's literally establishing a new hierarchy of power That he's he's establishing a new way of relating to one another and relating the people to the power. And Isaiah's promise is that Jesus is going to bring a new government that's going to act differently, function differently, care differently than the one before. So I'm I'm not trying to be political, but I do want us to be reminded that on this day, we are celebrating the birth of the world's future king. Not an elected president, but a reigning sovereign king. He is not yet on his throne and the world does not yet look like what it will, but that is what we are celebrating tomorrow. And the future is bright, right? I mean, that's the promise of Isaiah 9, 7. The future is bright. It's full of justice, peace, and righteousness. Three things that we don't see a lot of in our world today. A time where we have spent the last nine months at least fighting over issues of justice. Where we have seen unrest and not peace. Where we have seen many, many people, ourselves included, act unrighteously. That the promise of a future government marked by justice, peace, and righteousness is good news. And that's what we celebrate. So in, instead of letting tomorrow's joy be a distraction from today's pain, instead of letting tomorrow's joy be a distraction from today's pain, my prayer is that tomorrow's joy will point our hearts into the future and into the forever joy that we have been promised. Um, Isaiah 9 7 ends with this line the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is our promise and our hope for this season, that the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. We hope, but we hope in certainty. We look forward towards the light, towards the new day, towards the future, knowing that it is fixed, it is certain, Jesus will sit on his throne and his kingdom will look like justice, peace, and righteousness. Let's pray. Jesus, we celebrate today and we celebrate tomorrow. That the the king has come and will come again. That the future is bright, not because we are working towards a more just, Uh, country or just humanity or more peaceful relationships with one another but because you will one day sit on your throne and you as king are the only one who can bring the justice our hearts long for the peace that our bodies need and the righteousness that our souls require So Lord, we celebrate today, we celebrate tomorrow morning, the birth of our King. May tomorrow's joy point our hearts into that fixed future that you will bring about. We pray these things in your name. Amen.